looked at uh, Chron- Second Kings, uh, where Elisha prays that his servant's eyes would be open to the armies of the Lord. Uh, the point being that we need to have our eyes open to the invisible warfare that goes on around us so often. Uh, we get trapped in our culture's way of thinking that if we can't see it, if we can't quantify it, if we can't measure it, then then it's not real. And if we take that attitude to the spiritual world, uh, we do away with the spiritual world, we deal away with the God of the Bible, we do away with uh, the Old and New Testament, and... Rather than Christianity, what we end up with is a self-help program. One of the great tragedies uh, of the the modern era, beginning really in the 19th century, even today, is the downplay of uh, the supernatural. I I was sharing last week, uh, Rudolf Boltman, uh, uh, infamous really, liberal theologian uh, made a comment to the effect that uh, somebody can't use electricity and wireless radio and still believe in uh, the spiritual forces active in the world. But when we deny those realities, we deny uh, the greater parts of the Bible. And as we consider the issue of spiritual warfare, I I think it best to start at the beginning of this warfare where uh, the first shots are fired so that we can understand uh, the strategy that our enemy takes towards us. Uh, Unlike many wars uh, where uh, you have to guess what your adversary is doing, We know how our adversary operates. God has divinely inspired His Word and shown how our enemy seeks to do war with our souls. Seeks to discourage us. Seeks to defeat us spiritually. Seeks to destroy our families. Destroy our communities. To destroy churches. These strategies we see in the Bible haven't changed because our nature, our human nature hasn't changed. And so our enemy knows our weak spot. And so we can know from the Word of God how to respond. So we're going to be at Genesis chapter 3. This is really the opening salvo in spiritual warfare. The enemy taking uh, the proactive approach to attack, to kill and destroy. And what we see the enemy doing in Genesis 3, the enemy still does to this day uh, in every level of spiritual warfare. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The enemy said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you have given to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Or God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So, Lord, in prayer, Father, as we study this section and we, as we continue to study the issue of spiritual warfare, may we never lose a sense of the reality of this. Because the warfare of our enemy, Satan, is every bit as real as any military activity uh, that is going on in the world right now. And it's all the more insidious because it goes unseen by the world, unrecognized, as the enemy goes about his work deceiving and destroying. May we have our eyes open, but may we have our eyes open and fixed upon Christ, who is the seed of the woman who has crushed the head of the serpent and who will one day throw the serpent into that lake of fire at the end of history. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. One of the first strategies that the enemy uses in this area, spiritual warfare, is the strategy of temptation. And the enemy here in Genesis 3, in this primeval history at the beginning of humanity, goes about his task of tempting and destroying in ways that we see even in our own age. Satan would have made a great Madison Avenue marketer if Madison Avenue had existed at that time. And uh, I know that there are those that would question whether the serpent is Satan, but the New Testament further revelation points out and makes clear that this is indeed Satan. This is no ordinary serpent. Uh, this is the great enemy. As uh, the John Revelation uh, view Satan as that ancient serpent. That ancient serpent, one of his first 
strategies in the area of temptation and in spiritual warfare in general is to cause those under attack to doubt and question the very word of God so that they would cast it aside. Uh, Jesus, in uh, teaching on the parable of the soils, uh, uh, gives the example of seed that falls along the side of the road and that the uh, ray crows eat the seed. And he says that that is Satan taking away the word of God. And here we find uh, Satan, the enemy, uh, uh, beginning his attempt to deceive Eve in regards to the nature of the Word of God. Did God actually say? And we know that that, was the act, that wasn't the command. He, he is uh, beginning doubt by twisting the command that was given that she, they will not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day they eat of it, they will surely die. But Satan uh, twists the truth. He, he gets part of the command right, part of it wrong. Uh, as we learn in life, uh, the best lies out there always have an element of truth to them to make them more believable. And here the enemy begins, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He did say, do not eat of this one tree, but he causes her not only to doubt the word of God, but the character of God, having her view God as possibly more restrictive than he actually was. And in doing so, he is enticing her to get closer and closer to the line where she becomes an actual transgressor. He is baiting her along. He's not using the truth. He is disguising his motives, his purpose, and his intention. Now, as I was preparing this, I was uh, thinking of the alligator snapping turtle. I don't know if they have them in these parts, but the alligator snapping turtle has a little appendage on its tongue that looks just like a worm. And what the alligator snapping turtle does to eat, it lays at the bottom of a river or lake, lies as still as possible, entices whatever fish will come by with a, the little appendage at its tongue with its mouth open, and when they take the bait, chomps down. Uh, that's basically what the enemy is doing with Eve. He is baiting her along, uh, making uh, what awaits her more desirable than it really is. And uh, the enemy does that with sin, paints sin in fair colors. Although it is foul and hideous, the enemy tries to make sin as appealing as possible because uh, nobody would sin if they understood sin for what it really was if they understood the heinous nature of it, the act of rebellion it is towards God, or the consequences that it brings. And so uh, Satan continues his act of deception after she responds, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And through his... Deception, he's already led 
Eve to add to the commandment of God so that uh, she finds an even greater temptation. He is cast doubt on the truth of the situation. And now with that doubt in place in her mind as she is already twisting and turning uh, the clear command that God gave, he outright denies what God said. He denies God's purpose and giving that commandment. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You sh- will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's the bait. The idea that she and Adam could be equal with God. What should have been plainly obvious as impossible strung her along. And she's getting closer and closer to the edge. She hasn't actually transgressed yet, but she gets closer and closer to the edge. And sometimes we, we are tempted to do this in our own lives in different ways. Uh, we want to see how close we can get to the line of sin without crossing over. But uh, the challenge is the closer and closer you get to the line. Once you're right up on the line, you don't see the line anymore. It'd be like walking up to the edge of a cliff, seeing how close you could get to the edge of a cliff without going over. Once you're at the edge, you don't see where you're standing, and it's easy to fall. That's what happens here. It's not coincidental that this is called the fall of mankind. Uh, They get as close as they can, and they fall into temptations, power, and they fall into sin. And so Eve, uh, buying into this deception, buying into the lie of the enemy, gives in. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight in the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, all these subjective things the enemy has caused her to fix it, hate on have moved her to give in to temptation because she has turned her mind and turned her heart away from obedience to that one simple command because doubt has come into her mind over the validity and nature of the command. We see that everywhere. You, you, you think of what has happened in the uh, 2,000 years of Christianity since uh, the uh, ascension of Christ into heaven. We see the enemy working in the same ways. Questioning the clear truth of Scripture. Questioning doctrines that are essential to salvation. Did Jesus really say he was God? Did he really say he was one with the Father? Maybe he meant he was like the Father. Did Jesus really come in the flesh or did he not? wasn't he just similar to flesh? 
Did Jesus really say he was the way, the truth, and the life? Or did he just say he was a way, one of many? Can we really trust any of this? Uh, you, you think of uh, especially the past 300 years of Christianity, uh, uh, the attacks, uh, the greatest attacks against Christianity ha- haven't come from outside. They've come from those inside calling uh, this into question, calling this into doubt, discouraging belief in it, and deceiving those that have listened to them. We look at the mainline denominations today, and you often ask yourselves, how did things get this way? We think of, uh, if you've uh, followed the news, uh, that there is schism coming for the United Methodist Church, uh, where uh, they're going to, the liberals in America are going to pay the more conservative uh, Methodists in Africa, basically $25 million to part ways from them. And we wonder, how does it get there? It gets there uh, through this spiritual warfare. In uh, Corinthians, Paul uh, says uh, that our, what the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, as we render every thought captive to Christ. Elsewhere, Paul warns of demonic doctrines, demonic teaching. Uh, the enemy has always been at work in twisting and distorting and ultimately destroying the truth. Because once you twist the truth, it's no longer the truth. You have destroyed it. It is a lie. That is what the enemy did for Adam and Eve in the garden. Offering up partial truths mixed with his lies, and they bought them and accepted them and gave in wholeheartedly to them. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. Now the fortunate thing about the enemy is he's wrong about God. If the enemy's understanding of God is being more restrictive than he really is, the story of humanity would have ended right then and there. Had they received uh, only the justice of God, our, our first parents w- would have been wiped out like that. End of story. Bible ends at Genesis 3. But God, because of His great love, because of His great mercy, intervenes in the situation. And it is because of His grace uh, that we actually have a spiritual warfare to do with, that we have an enemy to deal with. You know, oftentimes uh, we might get discouraged. Uh, There is an enemy that wants to destroy us. There is an enemy that wants uh, to ruin our lives. But that's the grace of God. Because uh, apart from Satan being our enemy, God is our enemy. And if we understand uh, the greater picture of Scripture, we understand who wins in the end. But God intervenes. He calls to Adam and Eve. Uh, He uh, calls to them so that they would understand 
where they were in relation to him, not because God did not know where Adam was. God is all-knowing. God is all-perfect. But the man and the woman needed to know where they were in relation to God and to each other. And the Lord speaks to the serpent. And he speaks in such a way to point to the ongoing nature of spiritual warfare today. We often read the things that happen in the Bible. We think, you know, that was just in the Old Testament. That was just in the New Testament. We're in today. All that is ended. We're in a different world today. We live in the same world. The Lord speaks to the serpent in his judgment. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What the Lord is promising there, uh, here in Genesis uh, 3.15, is uh, that there will be, until the final defeat of the enemy, ongoing spiritual warfare with the enemy. I remember when I was in college, uh, somebody was telling the story how a uh, well-known evangelist had been preaching on uh, Satan and spiritual warfare. And uh, somebody came up to him afterwards and said, well, Satan's not bothering me. Satan's not doing anything to me, to which the evangelist replied. "Uh, He doesn't have to do anything to you because he already has you. And the reality is we either have Satan as our enemy and the forces of darkness as our enemy, we have a daily warfare ahead of us, or we are not on God's side. We are not on the side of the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who has crushed the serpent. And so we we know that one of his first areas that he is going to attack us is to tempt us. And this can come in many different ways. The enemy can... Uh, tempt us in regards to sins of commission, to do that which we should not do. We think of David and Bathsheba. David, uh, where he's not supposed to be, because as Second uh, Samuel points out, David was on his rooftop when the kings were supposed to be at war. When David was at the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, the enemy used that as an opportunity for David not only to commit adultery, but to commit murder and deception of the worst sort. Or maybe it could be a sin of omission. You know, we're familiar with thinking about the sins of commission, what we do. But oftentimes uh, it's easier for the enemy to convince us to omit those things that, that we're supposed to do. We think about the areas of the Christian life uh, that we're commanded to, that we're instructed to be obedient in. You know, we are instructed, each and every one of us, uh, to share our faith. We're responsible. We're told in the Gospels uh, that we're to make disciples. Uh, That's one of the primary reasons we're here. But the enemy brings temptation into our lives. either through intimidation or indifference. Maybe, maybe the enemy works on us uh, and causes us to be fearful of sharing the gospel with others. 
Now, I've heard believers say that before. You know, how they would be afraid to tell someone uh, about Jesus in our current cultural context because you don't know how people might react. And I'll tell you, uh, that lie, that deception, uh, that's not from God. Paul told his son in the faith, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Everywhere in the New Testament, we're reminded, though we uh, do have a spiritual warfare against the forces of darkness, even though we are in enemy-occupied territory, and we are, 1 John, uh, he closes his epistle in chapter 5, telling us this whole world lies under the evil one. You know, every man and woman outside of Christ, they are still in the kingdom of darkness. They are in bondage to the enemy. We often wonder why such Persecution to the church, why such rampant violence uh, that, that might fill us with fear? But we were promised that's how this world was going to be. Jesus made it clear in the Gospels that we are in enemy-occupied territory. We're like the advanced team uh, making way for the coming of His kingdom. In John's Gospel, Jesus told His disciples uh, that the world would hate them because they were not of the world. Because Jesus understood uh, that the world was under darkness. But that Satan had nothing in him. And Satan has nothing over him. And as we consider this issue of temptation, it also explains uh, so, so much uh, of our culture. But what we, oftentimes, because we're so accustomed to our culture, we don't see these things for what they really are. See, the first thing that Satan does in this temptation is he, he makes it seem as first that it's permissible to eat the fruit. He, he has her questioning uh, the validity of the commandment so that she would think first that it is permissible. And the enemy in our culture and our lives uh, wants us uh, to think that those things that God has uh, clearly prohibited in Scripture are actually permissible. I think uh, no clearer illustration of this uh, than uh, the growing uh, LGBT movement in our own society. You know, uh, just a couple decades ago, uh, the effort was not, not to uh, overly beautify it, but just to make it seem permissible. Because uh, in many states, it wasn't even legally permissible. But once uh, the battle of uh, making sin, making rebellion, making folly seem like something that is permissible, the enemy moves on to the second step. Uh, now that he has her thinking that it might be permissible to eat the fruit of the knowledge of the garden of the good and evil, that it might be permissible to sin against the commandment of God, he makes her think it would be beneficial to sin against God. says, not only will you not die, so not only is it permissible, but it's actually for your good that you do this sin, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So not only is it not bad for you, it's good for you. It's a positive thing that you give into this temptation, that you cave, that you sin against God. I think uh, many of our advertisers today have uh, taken a good lesson from the enemy in how uh, they market sin. Everywhere we look, we see men, women, and children wrapped up in things that common sense would say destroy your life, uh, but they have bought into the lie that first it was permissible for them to do. Maybe it was sexual immorality, maybe it was drugs, maybe it was uh, alcohol abuse, uh, but uh, they first thought it was permissible and then they thought it was beneficial and necessary for them. The enemy will do that in the lives of those who profess to be faith uh, followers of Christ. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories uh, of those uh, that uh, have committed adultery uh, with someone, uh, with another married individual saying, uh, the Lord wanted us to do it. Uh, the Lord wanted us to be happy. We need to remember, first of all, the Lord will never command us to do anything contrary to His Word because His Word reflects His perfect will. And secondly, we need to remember uh, that the enemy and the enemy within ourselves, because Paul says uh, that we do war against our flesh, we have that indwelling sin, which is what the enemy uh, appeals to. Loves nothing more than to give in to that which is contrary to God. And how do we battle temptation? We have to look to the pages of the New Testament to find one that stood against the temptation of the enemy. And whereas our first parents were tempted in a garden, our Lord and Savior was tempted in the wilderness. Luke 4, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. You know, uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they uh, instruct uh, those that go through it to recognize uh, triggers for the temptation to drink. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Uh, Jesus may or may not have been angry when he saw the enemy, but we know he was hungry. We know he was lonely because he was by himself. And uh, after 40 days in the wilderness, I imagine he was a good bit tired. But there he was, probably at his weakest, his most prone to temptation. That is when the enemy came to him. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be get yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only worship him. And he took him to Jerusalem, 
and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from there, for it is written, He will commend his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. How do we overcome uh, that first strategy of the enemy? To tempt us to either do that which we should not do, or to not do that which we should do. You know, that second temptation of offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world, that was tempting Jesus to omit the purpose for which he came. Because Jesus would receive his kingdom through his sufferings on the cross, not from uh, uh, this uh, quid pro quo from the enemy. And how does he respond to the enemy each and every time? He responds with the word of God. Now, had Eve been wiser, had Adam been wiser, when... The serpent asked, did the Lord really say? They would have quoted exactly what he said. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of the garden of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But they don't respond with the word of God. They respond with their own twist. We have no greater weapon against the enemy than his word. The enemy tempts us to sin, to despair, to do what we should not do, we look to this. Because how else are you going to deal with the deception of temptation than with the truth of God, with the truth of who we are? And as we engage in this warfare, as we go into this new year, it is vital for us as God's people, as people of the Word, to be in the Word. They say that the Secret Service, in order to recognize counterfeits, uh, they don't actually study counterfeits. They familiarize themselves with the authentic article. And if we are to recognize the enemy's temptations, if we are to recognize his lies uh, that he paints over temptation with, we must know the truth. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If we know His truth, it'll be a great asset for us in the spiritual warfare that lies before us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for Your Word, knowing that it is truth, that it is the light for our feet, that guides our paths, and as we go about our day-to-day lives, may your word keep us from sin. May your word be a strong guard for us against the schemes of the enemy because we know that our enemy would love nothing more than to uh, distract us or cause us to doubt your word. But may you increase our faith and may we cling to your word and cling to your Son. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.